theyeshiva.net. Good morning, everybody, and welcome, Bruchim Aboyim. I'm sitting here in my home on J Court in Muncie. Due to the circumstances, unfortunately, we're not together in our usual uh, sheer place. But we wanted to continue learning, especially at this time. And I'm just going to take the opportunity to wish everyone, all of you and all of uh, the Jewish people the world over, and all people in the whole world, to be healthy and to stay healthy. And uh, it's a difficult time. It's a shocking time. As I said yesterday, God caught almost everybody off guard, maybe everybody off guard. And uh, some people, some people I know who are going through very difficult health struggles now because of the coronavirus. And we want to wish and pray for everybody to have a Rafur Shlema, Rafur Kreva, complete and speedy recovery. And we. Uh, Certainly our minds and our prayers and our hearts are with all those who are uh, quarantined on any level, and especially those who are struggling with health and in those countries and in those places where people have actually passed. In Italy, it was one day, I think yesterday or two days ago, 300 deaths. So it's a, it's, it's a serious time, unprecedented in our lifetimes. Yet, as we know, every crisis has within it an opportunity. And I hope that all of us will seize this opportunity to uh, learn more, to daven more, to go more inward, to spend more time with ourselves, with our souls, with our loved ones with our families, our children, our spouses, our God, and uh, use it as an opportunity for uh, real inner inner growth. I mean, we're learning now how much humanity is connected. We don't always realize it, but now we realize it. And uh, we all share the same oxygen, and we inhale the same air, and we're all living on the same planet and an invisible creature of 125 nanometers could literally turn the world over. It's incredible. Incredible on many levels. So, Be'ezer Hashem, we're going to continue learning, and uh, we'll have our shear daily, and we'll send out uh, the WhatsApps or messages constantly, every day, to notify you what's going on. And uh, let's hope we should be able to all be reunited, also physically and virtually, with everybody to be able to learn in our base Aknesis and base Hamedrish. And I want to welcome everybody who's here, everybody who's joining us, uh, I guess, live and virtually, everybody who will join us later. And let's begin. So, if you go to the yeshiva.net, usually I would tell you to open your svarim, but I'm not sure everybody has Svarim, these Svarim. But we posted the source sheets. We posted the source sheets. And I also want to thank all those who organized this. 
Reb Nochem Fried, and Reb Rafal Hausman, and Reb Shmuel Silber are dedicated staff who uh, have created the opportunity for this. Bezer Hashem, thank you so, so much so we can all learn together. So I'm going to ask you to go to the yeshiva.net and you'll see on the banner, on the top, it should say Hasidus Tuesday, 7 o'clock. You could click on it. It will open up. And under the video, you're going to see source sheets. And the source sheets are a PDF. You can open that, download the PDF. Or you could, on top of the video on the right, also source sheets. You see the source sheets below the video. It's a red PDF, and you can download it. Or source sheets on top of the video, and you can open that up as well. And that will make the video smaller and the source sheets side by side, so you could follow both as you wish. Whatever works for you. So you'll open up the source sheets. Okay. And we're ready to begin. I actually have the safer. I'm going to give a little introduction before we actually begin. I'm opening up here a uh, what's called Sefer Amaymarim Tofresh Ayin Beis Hyphen Tofresh Ayin Vav. This is a Sefer of Maimarim of Hasidic discourses by someone known as the Rebbe Rashab. Rebbe Rashab, his name was Rabbi Shalom Doiv Ber Schneerson, and he was the fifth Rebbe in the dynasty of Chabad. Just for the sake of history, the Baal Hatanya, Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi, when he passed away, he was succeeded by his son, Rabbi Doiv Ber, known as the Mittler Rebbe. He is the second Rebbe in the dynasty of Chabad. When the Mittler Rebbe passed away, in the year Tovkuf Pei Ches, which is 1827, he was succeeded by his son-in-law, his daughter's husband, known as the Tzemach Tzedek, Rabbi Benachem Mendel of Lubavitch, who was also a grandson of the Balatanya, because Tzemach Tzedek's mother, Rabbi Tzendvarele, was a daughter of the Balatanya. So he was a grandson of the Balatanya, and he was a son-in-law of the Mittler Rebbe. When he passed away, he had seven... So Machzadik passed away. The youngest son became the fourth Lubavitcher Rebbe, known as the Rebbe Maharash. Mirenu Harav Shmuel. His name was Reb Shmuel, Reb Shmuel of Lubavitch. So after his father's passing in 1866, right before Nisan, right before Pesach, Yud Gimel Nisan, 1866, Tofresh Chavav, Reb Shmuel succeeded him in the little town in Belarus called Lubavitch. Lubavitch, by the way, in Russian, comes to the word Luba, which means love. Luba, love. The city of love. And when he passed away, very young, in the year Tafresh Mem Gimel, 18, uh, 1882, he was succeeded by his son, who became the fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe, the Rebbe Rashab. Reb Shalom Ber. Because his name was Reb Shalom Doiv Ber. And uh, last year, if you remember, we learned a mimer of his, called Viadaita Moskva, from Tofresh Nun Zion, a mime that begins Viadaita, which he said in Moscow, in the year Tofresh Nun Zion, which would be 1897, a very long mimer about 
tzimtzum and about the concept of havaya hu ha'elikim, the great metaphor of the teacher and the student as a cosmic metaphor for our relationship with our own inner source. The Rebbe Rashab, the fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe, lived in the town of Belarus called Lubavitch. He was the Lubavitcher Rebbe. He also morphed into one of the greatest and seminal leaders of Russian Jewry at the time. Uh, together with some of the other greatest leaders, he was extremely close with uh, Reb Chaim Brisker, Reb Chaim Soloveitchik, who was in Brisk in Lithuania, with the Chafetz Chaim and others, uh, great contemporary leaders of that time. In 1915, the First World War broke out, and uh, the Germans invaded Russia. And in 1950, in 19, in 1915, at the end of 1915, he realized that the Germans are going to come into his domain, into Lubavitch, and the Rebbe did not want to be under them. So he left. He escaped Lubavitch and he moved to a city known as Rostov on the Dan. Rostov, which is on the Don River, D-O-N, uh, in southern Russia. It was a, it was pretty far from the front. And that's where he lived for the remainder of his life, which was another four years. He passed away, Bez Nissen, Tofresh Pei. The second day of Nissen, Tofresh Pei, which would be 1920. This coming Bez Nissen, the second of Nissen, we're now at the end of Adar. In just a few days in the second of Nissen, will be exactly 100 years since the Yortzeit of the fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe, the Rebbe Rashab, because he passed away Tov Pei 1920. So Tov Shin Pei 2020 is exactly the 100th anniversary of his Yartzeit. As you know, I sent out an email that we were planning a trip to Rostov, which is the city where the Rebbe lived at the end of his life and where he passed away and where his son continued to lead the movement of Chabad in 1920, until 1924, when he relocated to the to Leningrad, which used to be Petersburg. Don't look at the Leningrad. Uh, and ultimately, his son, known as the previous Rebbe, the Rebbe Rayat, was arrested by the Bolsheviks, by the communists in 1927. He was sentenced, Rachman to death. Then they converted it to exile for 10 years, exile for three years. They ultimately liberated him in 1927. He left the Soviet Union, came to Latvia, to Poland, and then escaped the Nazis and arrived in America, where he passed away. Yudshva Tovshin Yud, 1950, succeeded a year later by his son-in-law, the seventh Lubavitcher Rebbe, known as the Rebbe, who was named after the Tzemach Tzedek. Okay, so now you got a little bit of the history. So we were planning this trip to Rostov for Beis Nissen. I was supposed to be there for Thursday and Friday, which is Beis Nissen and Shabbos and Sunday, um, due to the <laughs> to the fact that the whole world changed and everybody's plans changed, so that plan also changed. And uh, here we are today. So I decided we're going to learn a Pesach Maimer from the Rebbe Rashab. As you know, Chabad Hasidus was founded by the Alter Rebbe, the Balatanya, and each one of its Rebbes developed further, analyzed, developed, elaborated, added, applied 
the ideas of the Balatanya in their own unique way. And one of the greatest teachers of Chassidus was the Rebbe Rashab, who was known in the Chabad lexicon as the Rambam of Chassidus. The Rambam of Chassidus is the Rebbe Rashab. Why is it the Rambam of Chassidus? The Maimonides of Chassidus. Because the Rambam's unique contribution, one of unique contributions to halacha was the, the organization, the structure. The Rambam was the great man who organized and structured all of halacha into his works, Mishnah Torah and his other works, structured Jewish philosophy, Jewish law, giving everything its place, its unique position in the understanding of halacha, the clarity of the Rambam, the organization of the Rambam sets him apart until today as one of the greatest halachic authorities in Jewish history. And in a similar, although different, but in a similar way, the Rebbe Rashab is known as the Rambam in the world of Chassidus and especially Chassidus Chabad. So I chose a mimer that we're going to learn for Pesach, Be'ezer Hashem. It's a uh, very, very beautiful moving and uh, really personal mimer. And he said this on Pesach Tofresh Ayin Beis. Pesach Tofresh Ayin Beis would be 1912. 1912, that's eight years before he passed away, because he passed away Beis Nissen Tofresh Beis. This is eight years earlier, Tofresh Ayin Beis. For those who joined us since, you can go to your to the yeshiva.net and under the video, you have source sheets. And if you open the source sheets, you will find this mimer. Or on top of the video, on the right side, you also have source sheets. Let's begin. You have to scroll down on the page a little bit, because it starts in the middle of the page. It's Sefer Rabbi Mariam Tafresh Ayin Beis, page Kuf Samachvav, 166. The title is Shabbos Chalamayet Pesach, Tafresh Ayin Beis, Hanacha. Hanacha means a transcript of one of the per- people who were who was who were listening and heard this discourse, this mimer given over live by the Rebbe. <clears throat> we're now Shloshim Yom Chag. We're within thirty days of Pesach. The Gemara tells us in Masechet Psachim Davav that that's the time to begin learning and immersing yourselves in the ideas of Pesach, the halachas of Pesach, and also the spiritual ideas of Pesach. So, let's begin. The Maimer begins with a quote from the Haggadah. This matzah that we eat, what's the reason for us eating it? Says the Haggadah, why are we eating matzah? Why are we eating unleavened bread? Because the dough of our forefathers did not have an opportunity. To become sourdough, to become inflated, to become chametz, to become leavened, fermented, until the Melech Malchem Lachem HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the king of all kings, the king who was the king of all kings, Hashem, revealed himself to the Jewish people and he liberated them. And then they left Egypt, they didn't have time to let the the dough rise and become regular chametz, and that's why we eat unleavened bread on Pesach. Yeah, that's what we say in the Haggadah. Every Jew knows this. We explain why we're eating matzah on Pesach, because 
the dough of our forefathers didn't have an opportunity to rise until God revealed himself and said, Chevre, it's time to go, and we went. For dough to rise, those of you who make sourdough bread, you know, you have a starter, and from the starter, which is called zoyertek, sa'er yeast, you can make new a new, a new, a new challah, but it has to sit. You need time. Time is the name of the game. And they didn't have time. The understanding of this is, the literal understanding is, the whole reason we're obligated to eat matzah on Pesach is as a commemoration of the fact that the first time the first year when the Jews actually experienced the Exodus, they did not have a chance to experience the rising of the dough. And therefore, they had to throw the dough into the oven immediately, not giving it a chance to become leavened, which takes time, and eat it, and take it with them. So that's why we eat matzah. And the same is true, it's not just in the Haggadah. There's a posik in Parshas Re'ei, in Sefer Dvarim, in the portion of Re'eh, the Pasuk says, Shivas Yomim Teichel of Matzah's Lechem Ha'inike Bechipozen Yotzosim Eretz Mitzrayim. You should eat seven days Matzah's. Why? Because you left the land of Egypt Bechipozen, in haste. In Yiddish it's called in Eilanish. You were in a rush. What's the key Bechipozen? Because in a, you left Egypt in a rush, that's why you have to eat Matzah. What's the connection? So I left Egypt in a rush. We all left in a rush. We rushed out of Egypt. So why should I eat matzah for seven days? The answer is, Because the point is, since they were in a rush, they didn't have time to let the dough ferment. They had to cast it into the oven right away. And that's why he says for seven days, you don't eat chametz, you eat matzah. <coughs> Let's say theoretically they would have time. If God would have said, you know, we're leaving Egypt in a week, or in a day, or in a two days, or three days, they would have had time. It would have been a slower transition. Then, there wouldn't be no issue. They left the dough to become chametz, and we would be able to leave our dough to become chametz on Pesach. Because the Torah is saying the reason you're eating matzahs for seven days is keep as a reason. If not for the haste, you wouldn't have to. The problem is, the problem is, but this is problematic. Both what it says in the Haggadah, which is based on what it says in Parshish Re'eh in Apostle. The Haggadah was written by the Chazal, by our sages. Most of the Haggadah comes from the Mechilta and from the Mishnah, which is from the Tanayim, who lived at the end of the second Beis HaMikdash and shortly afterwards. But we also have a Pasuk to back it up. They didn't just invent this idea of Matzah from nowhere. It comes from the Pasuk. What's the problem? The problem is open up Chumash Parshas boy. When the Jews were still in Egypt, Two weeks before they left, two weeks before the Exodus, there was enough time. Hashem speaks to Moshe, and he tells Moshe and Aaron that the Jewish people on the 10th day of Nisan should purchase a sheep or a goat 
and on the 14th day of Nisan, when they're still in Egypt, they should offer it, they should slaughter it, they had to place the blood on their door. And he says, and that night, the night of the 15th of Nisan, the night before the 15th of Nisan, they should have a Seder, which is the first Seder. And he tells them, Be'erev toichlo matzos. At that night, they should eat matzah. They were commanded, V'ochlu asabasa balayla hazah. Tzliyesh. Matzah so, matzah so merayim On that night, you have to eat the meat of either the lamb or the goat together with a family. Everybody had to remain home. The first commanded quarantine. Nobody was allowed to leave the door of their home till the morning. They had to remain inside their home throughout their whole night, the night. And that night they had to say their family with family, celebrate Savoys, or if it was a small family and they wanted to bring in more people, you could. But you had to have groups who were quarantined by the instruction of God, to eat the carbon Pesach. And what was the menu? They had to eat together with matzah. But Erev Teichlu Matzah. This is the night before the Exodus. Nobody was rushing yet. The Exodus happened the next day. So this was a commandment before they left Egypt, before they were rushing out. Already two weeks before, Hashem said, I want you to eat matzahs on this night. What does this mean? Let's say they were not in a rush the next day to leave. Nobody was rushing them, not the Egyptians, not Moshe, not Hashem. Everybody was going, as they say, pavolya, slowly. Would they not be commanded, would we not be commanded to eat matzah on Pesach? We still would. The commandment has nothing to do with the way they left Egypt. Vigam, furthermore, the fact that they didn't have an opportunity to let the dough rise. The Haggadah says it's because Hashem revealed Himself to them, and therefore they didn't have a chance to let the dough rise. When was the revelation of Eirein Saif, of the Ein Saif in Egypt? As the Pasuk indicates in Parshas Bay, it happened at midnight and after midnight. In the middle of the night, God says, I came into Egypt, I'm going to pass through Egypt. I am going to pass as the Megillah, as the Megillah, as the Haggadah says, me, myself, not an angel, not a shliach, not a saraf, not a malach, ani the Ein Saif was revealed when? After Chatzais. This is a question both on a literal level and also on a more spiritual level. You're telling me they didn't have a chance to let the dough rise. When did that happen? That happens later, when they're rushed to leave. We're eating matzah in the beginning of the night. We come home and we have the obligation to eat matzah. We make a bracha lachilas matzah. Then there was no rush. So besides the fact that it's not connected to the reason of rushing, because we were anyway commanded, even if we were not rushed, it's also in practicality that didn't happen that way. The Jews ate matzah in the beginning of the night. There was no rush. Nobody was rushing anywhere. On the contrary, they had all night. They couldn't go anywhere. There was an anticipation, but there was no rush. 
There was an eagerness, there was an excitement in the air, I'm sure. But there was no rush, and they were still eating matzah. So the first question is, even if there was no rush, we still had to eat matzah. The second question is, besides that, it's two separate times. The rush happened after midnight, and the next day, this is before midnight. Also spiritually, the question is, it sounds like they didn't have an opportunity to become chametz. And the Svarim explained, it means that it couldn't become chametz because of the revelation of godliness. But that revelation happens when? Only after midnight. The words of our sages are very precise. He says the matzah didn't have an opportunity to rise until the melech, the king, the king, who is the king who rules over the kings of all the other kings. HaKadosh Baruch Hu redeemed them. Why couldn't he just say brief? If we don't know what HaKadosh Baruch Hu is, do we know what Melech Malchem Lachem is? Why this elaboration of terms, of adjectives for God? Not every time that Chazal mentioned God, that when Chazal mentioned God, do they say Melech Malchem Lachem HaKadosh Baruch Hu? It seems redundant. To understand all this, to explain the answer to all these questions. Question number one is, the Haggadah tells us the reason we eat matzah is because of the rush, and that's not true apparently. We eat matzah because of the commandment to eat matzah on the night of Pesach, which happened weeks before Yitzhak Mitzrayim. Number two, the rush happens only later after midnight, and the eating matzah was in the beginning of the night when there was no haste. Number three, why do we say Melech Malchem Lachem and not just HaKadosh Baruch Hu? Those are the questions. We have to first give an introduction. What was this haste of the exodus of Egypt? What was this haste about? Which is a theme of the previous Mimer that the Rebbe said uh, the second night of Pesach that year on the words, which is the previous mimer in the Sefer, but we went to this mimer. Why was it necessary to have this rush? It's always nice when you do things, you know, calmer, relaxed, you have time to meditate, you have time to be mindful, to prepare. We all know it's never fun to be caught off guard. Even even though it's a geshmaka thing, it's a good thing to leave Egypt. But there had to be haste. And and he's emphasizing, there was such a revelation of godliness. They were This was a moment of liberation. And still, there had to be chipazim. Why? So you'll answer very simple. Because, because the Egyptians were chasing. <laughs> Paro, he got up in the middle of the night and he said, get out of my country. Get out of Mitzrayim. That's why. The Egyptians were rushing them. And uh, the Jews were rushing. The Gemara speaks in Psachim. We learned last year in the 10th period there's Chippaz in the Mitzrayim, Chippaz in the Yisrael. The Jews were rushing to get out. The Egyptians wanted them out. God wanted them out. Everybody wanted them out. 
But the truth is, Hashem already said to Moshe weeks before, Vachaltam you had to eat it in haste. In other words, even when they're sitting at the Seder and eating, they're not going anywhere. They left only the next day. There was an element of haste that was essential to the experience of Yitzhak Messiah. It wasn't they happened to be rushed, so therefore they were eating in haste. No, it's the other way around. Because they had to be in a state of haste, therefore they were rushed. <laughs> you understand the difference? He said that they have to eat it in haste. They had to create a situation of haste. Why? The answer is, there is a deeper answer. Because when the Jewish people left Egypt, the ra, the toxicity of Egypt, the brokenness of Egypt, the negativity, was in its full power. The answer, says the Rebbe, is, the Rebbe Rashab says, because by Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, the toxicity was still in its tremendous intensity. They were not yet vessels for the revelation that in them and through them, the essential and internal light should shine. They were essentially in a place of darkness. And they were, even as they were leaving the darkness, they were in a place of darkness. Even as they were leaving the darkness. Therefore, the whole experience had to be done in haste. There was still a fear of what's called that the external forces can latch onto them, can grab onto them. That the virus of Egypt can still attach itself to them. They could still become host cells for the virus of Egypt, for Mitzrayim virus. And that's why they had to flee. That's why they had to run away. What does this mean? What are they running away from? What are they running away from? I hear myself, so I'm going to make pause. (laughs) Or lower the volume. They're running away from themselves. You see, the Pasuk says by Mitzrayim, we remember where this Pasuk says? The beginning of Beshalach, right? It was on the third day, Vayugat, Lemelech Mitzrayim, they told the Egyptian king, the nation fled, they ran away, they escaped. And one reads this and says, they ran away? Parai. You forgot? You forgot that you woke up in the middle of the night and you were looking for Moshe and Aaron and you said, get out of my country. I don't want you here. You sent them away. All of Egyptians sent them away. That's why the Jews were in such a rush. What does it mean Parai was told that they fled? Who fled? 
If there was ever someone who got permission to leave, it was the Jews. After 10 devastating plagues, and finally the 10th one, the death of every first male born, Makas Pchiris, the Jews were thrown out of the land, literally. Who ran away? And yet the Torah says they ran away. So Rashi asks this question, and Rashi says, because Moshe never told Pyre they want to leave for good. Moshe always said, give us a three-day holiday. So Pyre thought when they're leaving, it's going to be for a three-day holiday. After three days, he got a message that they're not planning to come back. This was a one-way exit. They're not coming back. Ooh, he realized they ran away from Egypt. Which only raises the question, why did Moshe have to do this? Why couldn't Moshe just tell him, Parai, bye-bye, we're never coming back. (laughs) This is not a three-day holiday. You could say in the beginning, Moshe told him this because he wanted to convince him to let let them go. But Parai didn't even let them go for three days. He refused stubbornly to even let them go for three days. At the end, what caused Parai to let them go his economy was shattered and his security was shattered and he was frightened for his life and he saw the death toll. He was forced to let them go. But at that point, why did Moshe have to deceive Parai? Moshe could have said, Parai, you want us to go? It's going to be for good. Any way you look at it, it doesn't make sense. If Parai was left to his own devices, he didn't agree even for three days. The only reason he agreed for three days was because he was forced to. If he was forced to at this point, he was desperate. He would have agreed to let them go for good. So why did Moshe have to create this whole mechanism and contrive a story that wasn't true? They're not leaving for three days. They're leaving for good. Tell Barry the truth. We're leaving for good and don't come back. The guy is anyway going to be forced to let you go. At this point, he has no choice because if he would have had a choice, he wouldn't let you go even for three days. So what's the Havana of this? So here we come to discover that there's a whole deeper story happening. You see, they had to leave Egypt in a way of Kibarach Ha'am. It had to be an escape. And because it had to be an escape, therefore it was designed technically and reported to Pare in a way that the Jews should actually be fleeing. In other words, the way they left Egypt had to be in a way of baracha. They had to escape. But how do they escape? Paroi is giving them permission. So Moshe had to come up with an idea. He told Paroi we're leaving for three days. They left for more than three days. After three days, Paroi saw they escaped. In other words, it's not that they escaped and therefore Paroi saw they escaped. They could have told him the truth. It's because Yitzhiyah Mitzrayim had to be in a certain way. It had to be in a way of escapism, and therefore, practically, it was designed to come out that way. How? By Moshe telling him, we're only going for three days, and then go for more. Now the big question is, why? (laughs) Why do you care if the Jews don't escape? Why do you care if the Jews don't escape? And this is what... The Rebbe is teaching us here, and it's based on an explanation in Tanya in the 31st chapter, Perik Lamad Aleph. 
And the point is, what is Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim? Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim is about escaping. Escaping who? Not just escaping Pari and Egypt. It's escaping something within yourself. You see, at this point, the Jews have left Egypt, but Egypt has not yet left them. The voices of Egypt, the message of Egypt, the ideas of Mitzrayim were still stuck inside their psyche, inside their mind, inside their soul. So therefore they were compelled to run away because they had to escape something that was really part of their life. And because they had to escape themselves, therefore Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim came about in such a way. And that's what he's saying. And let's understand this, let's apply this to a person's life. Sometimes, you have inner clarity about something. Meaning, you know what's the right thing, you feel this is the right thing, and you're holistic about it. You're organically connected to this path in life. You're single-mindedly connected And it's very clear that this is the right thing for you. But sometimes you can't afford that. Not always am I in a position where everything is so clear and smooth. Sometimes there's an inner conflict. That's called Mitzrayim is inside of me. And you know what the inner voice is telling me? Come back, come back, come back. Take the world of addiction. Not just the world of addiction. We all have to deal with it. I want to do something. I know it's the right thing, but there's a voice in me that's just not letting me do it. It's the fear or the shame or the resentment or some form of trepidation or uncertainty. And what's going to be the, what are the options? Either I stay in Mitzrayim or I run. I have to run. I can't walk slowly because if i walk slowly i may get stuck and the reason i may get stuck is because i'm still in a place of darkness so therefore i have to run away from a certain voice inside of me that is not letting go and is trying to pull me back as i'm leaving and when somebody is trying to pull you back there's only one way you have to pull hard because if you just go slowly you're going to get pulled back. Somebody was pulling them back to Mitzrayim. Who? Themselves. Themselves. And when you have that somebody pulling you back, you have to run. You have to pull yourself away. And this was the exodus of Egypt. And this is an incredible idea because this is also called redemption. Redemption does not mean... I am liberated and emancipated and there's nothing bothering me anymore. I'm just stress-free, anxiety-free, fear-free, trauma-free, abuse-free, addiction-free, toxicity-free. Halavai. If you're there, awesome. But that's not Yitzhiyah Mitzrayim. Sometimes we feel, I'm not a free person. There's so much going on inside of me. Can you relate to this? I'm not a free person. How can I be free? 
There's stories inside of me. There's stories that I narrate to myself. There's thoughts, there's ideas, there's emotions, there's our feeling, feelings inside of me. I'm anything but free. Can you be free? That's Yitzhiyah Mitzrayim. The paradigm of Jewish freedom and the paradigm that set the world, civilization, on a march to freedom. I told you Yitzhiyah Mitzrayim was not just a Jewish event. It set the bar for all of civilization. I think almost every revolutionary movement to liberate slaves and emancipate people under impression, uh, impression used Moses and the exodus of Egypt as their source of inspiration. If this is the case, Yitzhiyah Mitzrayim is teaching us an extraordinary idea. Freedom does not mean that you're not struggling. Freedom does mean that you identify the struggle and you don't become oppressed and defined by it. That's what freedom means. Fitius Mitzrayim does not mean that I'm not in a place of darkness. There's no darkness here. He puts it, he can't say it stronger. They were in a place, on their own, they were in a place of darkness and they were still, when they were leaving, they were in a place of darkness. So they didn't leave, they did leave. Because they identified the darkness. The moment I can identify and say, this is darkness, this is toxicity, this is oppression, this is abuse, this is not who I really am, it's not who I want to be, it's not who I hope to be, it's not who I aspire to be. This is alien to my inner core, this is alien to my values. You're a free man, you're a free woman. Do you have to run? Oh yes, you have to run. You have to run, because if you don't run, you can end up right back in the vortex of toxicity. You know why? Because it's there. It's inside of you. They may have left Paroi, but Paroi did not leave them. People ask some questions, and everybody's free to ask questions. You can ask questions on, uh, on, uh, on YouTube, on Facebook. Should we eat our matzah in haste too, with all this in mind? <laughs> well, we'll soon learn what haste means. We're going to get back to what haste means, and then you'll figure out the answer to your question. But practically speaking, you do have to eat your matzah in a certain amount of haste because there is a few minutes to eat the kazayas, the volume of uh, of an olive of matzah, which is not so so large, but it's the volume of an olive, and you want to eat that. So there is a certain... Uh, you have to be conscientious and not procrastinate when you eat it. But you don't have to feel terribly rushed in the terms of, in, in sense of stressed out. You shouldn't be stressed out at the Seder. You should be uh, very liberated at the Seder. But what does liberation mean? Liberation doesn't mean I have no issues to deal with. Liberation means I identify them and I run. I run. The voice inside of me is, come back, come back, come back. We know who you are. I run. That's Kibbara Ha'am. You understand? That's why Yitzhiyah Mitzrayim had to be with haste. Because the toxicity was still too powerful. The essence of Mitzrayim was inside the Jews. Why would running away in haste help? You're taking it with you. <laughs> right? When he... He's asking, Reb Moshe is asking, you're running, you're running with Para, you're running with Egypt. How does running away help? 
The point is, you're running away from that part in yourself. There's geographical Mitzvah Mitzrayim and there's psychological Mitzvah Mitzrayim. Geographically Mitzvah Mitzrayim is you're leaving the territory, physically. But there is emotionally Mitzvah Mitzrayim. And that is, you're running away from something inside of yourself. That's the whole point. That even though it's in me, and it lurks at me, and it wants me to come back, and it tells me you belong in Mitzrayim, I extricate myself from it. I say, no, you are not me. You are my former master. You are my former oppressor. You are my former abuser. You are my former toxic boss. But I'm not under you anymore. I am a free person. That's what you're doing. That's a process inside of yourself. And that process is called running away. Not running away from your truth, running away from your falsehood. How? How? If it's inside of me, by identifying it and saying, I will not be defined by you. I am not going to allow you anymore to define me. So, and I have to extricate myself and pull myself away from you with ferociousness, with might. That's what escaping means. Because if I just walk calmly and slowly without identifying that inner enemy that I constantly have to separate myself from, I may get stuck back. That's the inner idea of chipozoin, of Mitzrayim. That's why it had to be in a way of escapism. That's why Moshe had to contrive a story that we're leaving only for three days. After three days, Pari could see that they're not coming back and he could say, wow, they fled because the whole Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim for it to achieve its purpose, had to happen in this way of Kivorecha. We're soon going to see there's another model of redemption that's going to be the redemption of Mashiach, which we're waiting for. Over there, the Navi says, Yeshaya HaNavi says, you're not going to leave in haste. You're not going to run away. Your salvation is going to happen in a very relaxed fashion. <clears throat> have a wonderful day, everybody. Have a beautiful day. Stay healthy, have an inspired day and a meaningful day. Take the time of quarantine to uh, <coughs> add in your Avodah Hashem, add in your Torah and your Avodah and your davening and your learning in your Gemilas Chasadim and in your, uh, in your bonding, in your bonding with yourself and with the close people. It's a, it's a tremendous opportunity. Tremendous opportunity. We have to use it positively. We are now going to move on to our Gemara class. We're going to take a two-minute break, and we are going then to move on to the Gemara. If you go on to the yeshiva.net, you will see another banner called Gemara Tuesday. And you could click on that, and under that you'll have the source sheets for Gemara. Since nobody made me a coffee today, because virtual is very good, but not when it comes to a drink. I can't drink from the computer. So I'm just going to go make myself a drink. And we're going to continue the Gemara in two moments, in two minutes. I hope to see all of you tomorrow, tomorrow morning, 7 o'clock a.m. That's Wednesday morning, 7 o'clock a.m. Bli Nadir, Be'ezer Hashem. I hope to see you all. We will continue the Mimer. And again, you will have the the banner on the website, on the yeshiva.net. You will be able to click on it and watch the shear. You'll have the text. You can also print out the text if you want or order the safer if you want. 
Tomorrow morning we're going to start 7 o'clock a.m. Chassidus, followed afterwards by Gemara Masechta Megillah. Thank you all for joining us. Thank you all. Thank you, Reb Nochem. Thank you, Reb Rifal. Thank you, Reb Shmuel, for making this possible. Thank you all for joining us. Uh, you can watch it on the yeshiva.net. You can watch it on YouTube. Later during the day, they also upload it as a regular file, which you can download as an MP3 and an MP4. You also will have the shiurim every day, like today, on YouTube and on Facebook, live. Live. Technology was created for days like this. Well, some people are always with us on the internet live, but today we're all on the internet, including myself, so I guess technology was created, at least in part, for days like this. Everybody have a wonderful, beautiful, meaningful, inspiring, and healthy, healthy day for you and all of your loved ones, and all good people the world over. It's a new day. Let the day bring good and healthy news to our entire planet. Okay. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.